Ironhead Baptist Church Sermon Podcast for Sunday the 19th of June 2022. Hello and welcome, thank you once again for joining me, my name's James and I'm the web guy here at NBC. This week Richard was continuing to look at our key truths with relating to others. The reading is Matthew chapter 22 verses 34 to 40. So we'll go and join Richard as he's introducing the service. Good morning and welcome to Minehead Baptist Church this morning. It's lovely to see you all. Uh, my name is Richard, for those of you that don't know me, and I'm one of the ministers here. And it's lovely to see some sun of sorts this morning after yesterday's rather strange weather. Uh, I, I suppose a few notices, what seems like quite a few notices, uh, are in front of me. So I was told there is a Gosbury quiz on the 30th, 30th of June. June. Uh, there's, a not- there's a notice on the notice board, is there? There is, yes. So if you'd like to find out more, fi- uh, have a look there. Uh, next week, we were due to be joined by uh, Dan Pratt, who's going to be talking about modern-day slavery, and he's unfortunately had to postpone, uh, so he'll be with us later in the year, uh, at some point, yet to be determined. We celebrated it last week, but uh, they weren't here. They were off in Norway somewhere. But Steve and Anne's 40th wedding anniversary. I can't remember when exactly it was, but, but do say congratulations to them uh, when you see them. And they've had some stunning pictures by the looks of it in Norway. Uh, next week, we see the return of something I know you've all been missing, our picnic in the park. I think it had a fancier name last year, but I can't remember what it was, so... Uh, where we gather in Blenheim Gardens uh, after the service. And, well, I get sunburnt, but you don't have to. It's not mandatory. Uh, but if you'd like to join us, we will be start gathering probably uh, from about 12 uh, after church. So bring your lunch, uh, bring some games. Uh, and there is, I think, music starting in the park as well from sort of half two-ish. be lovely to see you there. We've had a request, a prayer request. Uh, Barry and Angie's son, uh, Andrew, has, is having to leave his house, um, so could we please pray for the family and f- that they find somewhere uh, else to live, and also that if anyone does know anywhere that for rent, uh, could you let uh, well me or Barry and Angie know? But as we come to worship this morning, shall we pray? Father, we give you thanks for this morning, this opportunity we have to gather in your name, gather to worship you. Father, we pray that as we come this morning, everything that we do would be pointed towards you, that our whole beings would focus on you. Father, we pray that you would be present here among us that you would speak to each of us. Father, we pray for uh, Barry and Angie's son, Andrew. Lord, whatever the situation is, Lord, might you be in it, might you be a comfort and a help, we pray. Amen. We're now going to come to our time of worship. Good morning to you all. Good morning, good morning. Uh, isn't it good to come together to praise the Lord? Amen, yes. Could we have that a little louder, please? Isn't it good to come together to praise the Lord? Amen. 
Stand and let's praise the Lord. It's rising up from coast to coast. It's rising up from coast to coast. Good morning, everybody. This is quite high as well, isn't it? Are you okay? Good. Had a good week? Brilliant. That's what we're after. Okay, here we go. The quiz night for Girls' Brigade is really important. It's not your run-of-the-mill quiz night. So there will be rounds of quizzes, but have you ever watched the programme Taskmaster? If you haven't, watch an episode and then come along to the Girls' Brigade quiz night. Okay, because that's the sort of thing. We're going to do rounds of quizzes and also rounds of activities. Okay, and it's to raise money for the Girls' Brigade, so that would be good. Okay, what day is it today? Well done. Well done, Roy. Eh? <laughs> I wondered why I was in church. <laughs> right, and now I know. Right? What day is it? Father's Day. All the dads in. Have you all had your cards and your presents? Well done. John's gone, yes. Okay. Uh, I haven't yet, but it's now on, on the Zoom thing on Facebook. My daughters will watch it or be told about it, and they'll remember it's Father's Day. All right? <laughs> And then they'll go rushing down to Poundland, right? That's the thing. Father's Day. I do, I wonder why, why don't we do as much for Father's Day in church as we do for Mother's Day? Why don't we? Why don't we think that the father is just as important in our relationships as families? As a church. I don't know. Nothing to do with me talk. I just thought I'd start a discussion point. All right? All right? That maybe next year there might be Yorkie bars or something for dads or something like that. Or I don't know. Um, a couple of daffodils would be nice. All right? But Yorkie bar would be better. Okay? That's it. So I'll just leave that as a discussion for next year. Okay? For Father's Day. That would be great. Now we're going to talk about love. Who's in love? Oh, well done, boys. Yes, there's a lot of men put their hands up. That was the right answer. Okay, all right. What is love? You're not so clever now, are you? Eh? Do you know, I've, there must be more songs wrote about love than any other subject. Okay? So just thinking about songs, what is love? So shout out some of the songs to do with love that are in the charts or you know from your past. Okay, throw them out to me. All you need is love. All right, from that lesser known band. Yeah, we know, yeah. All, right. All you need is love. Love is a many splendid thing. Anything else? Crazy little thing called love. I will always love you. Thank you, Lydia. Right? <laughs> Quite fond of you myself. But, right? Right? Anything else? Love is all around. Go on, Timber. If I can love you. Love hurts. Love. Oh, you brought it right there. Love hurts. Okay. There is always one. Right? Okay. Love hurts. Yeah, keep going. You give love a sorry, right? I try my best, Lester, I do, I try. Right? You give love a bad... Love is in the air. It is. Love is in the air. 
All you need is love. Okay? Well, I found a little song, okay, that I, I loved when I was little, when I was in church. And it's one of those songs that and I know my mum used to sing, all right, in Sunday school and all those things. It's Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. Right, so we're going to sing it, okay? But we're not just going to sing it, because what I want you to do is I want you to do the love sign. Okay, have you all got the little love sign? So every time we use the word love, I want you to go like this. Okay? Right? Have you got that? So every time it's like that. Right? Okay? Have you got this? So we're going to sing along to it, and every time the word love appears... If you know the chorus, you know you're going to be busy. Okay? Yeah, like that. So we're going to do the love sign. Are you ready? Right. Off you go then. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Brilliant, isn't it? Yes. Eh? Many memories. Great song about Jesus' love. Jesus' love, God's love. And in today's Bible lesson, in today's Bible reading for the church, that Jesus teaches us, It's a very important lesson about love. A really important lesson. Okay? We're going to get the Bible verse up now. This is the verse. What's the most most important commandment, Jesus was asked. And Jesus answered, are you ready? Really simple. Love, come on, be with me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. And then he goes on and says, if you got this right, all the rest will be okay. What is love? That's the question I'm going to leave you with this morning. Who should you love? What is love? What I'm going to give you as a certainty is that Jesus loves you. This I know because the Bible tells me so. Let's have another song. Right, before the uh, before fire starters leave us, we're going to sing again. Focusing on love, yes. Father God. I wonder how I managed to exist without the knowledge of your parenthood and your loving care. Let's stand and sing. Father God, I wonder how I managed to exist without... Father, we come this morning as people thankful for who you are. Thankful for the love you've shown to us. Thank you for the love you have for us. Father, we thank you for all that you do in our lives. Father, we thank you for the saving grace you've given us. Father, we 
want to open our hearts and minds to you this morning and say sorry, Lord, for the things we do that turn ourselves against you. Father, when we turn away from you, we're sorry, Lord. Father, we come this morning and we want to pray for our this, our church family. Father, we pray for those who are ill. Father, in need of our prayers, we lift them up to you now. Father, we want to lift up to you those that are struggling with other things. Lord, you know what they are. Father, even if we don't know what they are, Lord, we pray that we would be supportive and loving people. Father, we pray for this, your town, as we hear more and more stories of people struggling to find places to live. Father, might you be present in that situation. Father, might solutions be found. Might your love be known. And Father, we pray for this town that we have been called to serve. Father, might we be messengers, ambassadors for you. Father, might the whole town come to know who you are and what you've done for each and every one of us. Father, we pray that you would help us, equip us and guide us to share the good news of who you are. Father, we pray for our country, Lord, as we are hit by inflation and searches and cost of living. Father, there are no quick fixes, Lord, but Lord, we pray that solutions, the right solutions, the right decisions would be made. Father, when we pray for those who are already struggling, Father, there might the support be there. Father, might you be a comfort and a strength and a helper. Father, we pray for this, our world, Lord, a world that faces many of the same problems we face here in Britain. Father, we pray that in each and every country, Lord, that decisions are made that are in the interests of the people. Decisions are made that bring your love to the world. Father, we pray for the ongoing war in Ukraine. Father, we pray for peace, Lord. Father, we pray that weapons would be thrown down. Father, that weapons would be turned into plows. And Lord, bring peace, bring comfort. Father, and we pray for the situation in Afghanistan as well, Lord, where it seems to only be getting worse and worse as hunger 
strikes, whether a drug, epidemics running rampage. Father, we pray that it would not be a country close to you. Father, we pray for relief in those places. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now Jenny's going to come and give us our reading. The reading this morning is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, starting at verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Amen. Thank you, Jenny. So I've got a question for you as we begin this morning. You may need to think about it for a moment, or you may not. But have you ever done something that has offended someone without realising it at the time? I won't, I, there's a lot of yesing and nodding going on. So I'll take it, it's a fairly universal phenomenon. What about the other way? Have you ever been offended by someone who you're fairly sure will never realise that they've offended you? There's a lot more nodding going on as well, for those of you who can't see. And yet what lies at the heart of this offence? So often, I want to say, it's a misunderstanding, isn't it? So often we're talking past each other, or talking about slightly different things, or just not thinking what we're saying. Often there's no intent or meaning to offend, is there? Most of us, I think, don't often set out to offend others intentionally, unless you're a very different person to me, anyway. And it's at heart it tells us something perhaps suggests that we are not as good at understanding as each other as we're meant to be. I don't know about you, but I sometimes struggle to understand myself. Never mind other people. Now when we look in our own churches, often the biggest issues are those where people misunderstand each other and don't love each other. Little things where it's just been people have misunderstood, misconstrued what's been said to them. And that's not the way it's meant to be. 
In 1 John 3.16, we are told that just as Jesus laid down his life for us, so should we lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I don't know about you, but that is a challenge, isn't it? It does suggest that we should relate well to each other, that we should get on with each other, and perhaps even radically forgiving those who offend us, even when they don't ask for forgiveness. How important is this togetherness, this unity to Jesus? Well, we find an answer of sorts in John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, where as Jesus prepares to go for the cross, he prays for his disciples. It's a prayer that at its core, it's quite simple really, that all his followers would be one, just as he and the Father are one. That's quite a prayer, isn't it? The Son and the Father, of course, are Well, here we go, we're going to get lost in the Trinity somewhere, but very close. A point's indistinguishable. Yet this was Jesus' prayer as he prepared to make the great sacrifice for us. Prepared to lay down his life. It sits at the centre, at the heart of who we are as Christians, doesn't it? As followers of Christ. We should be one. We often call each other brothers and sisters in Christ. It happens in so many verses throughout the New Testament. Yet how often, I wonder, do we truly mean it when we say it? If Roy came up to me and asked to borrow £10,000, he'd be lucky to get it from me, he'd be lucky to find that me that much money. But if my own brother came up, he'd probably be much more likely for me to agree to lend it to him, wouldn't he? Sorry, Roy. <laughs> it's a moot point. I don't have ten thousand pounds, so it's uh, yeah. But we say it, but we don't really mean it sometimes, do we? Yeah, even God say, as Jesus says this prayer, it's a God a prayer that God may well struggle. To answer. And before I get lots of angry emails, I'm not saying God can't do anything. But rather that we as people are the stumbling block. It's us that are in the way. We have only to look at human history to see that we're not very good at being united, are we? The history of humanity is one of war, of bloodshed, of fighting. In some ways, the reason the war in Ukraine is such a shock to us is because, actually, in the past 70 years, we've not had war in the same way as we have for the rest of history. But God gives us free will. He's given us the ability to offend each other, to fight, to fall out. So how, then, can he make us all one? Because he could make it so that we just can't say anything that would offend anyone, couldn't he? But then we'd be lacking in that free will that he gave us, that he cherishes us having. 
So you may well be asking yourself, what is the point then of Jesus' prayer? If it's not a prayer that's ever likely to be answered fully. And it's quite simple, really. It's a powerful reminder that Jesus wants us to focus on this above almost everything else. We see that in this passage. The first command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind. And then the second, a call to unity, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is telling us that only by displaying unity can we truly preach the gospel. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. seems to me that if all the church does is argue amongst itself, then why on earth would anyone listen to words we have to say? Quite reasonably, you might think someone could well ask, why should I believe what you say when you can't even agree over what you believe? It's always the case, isn't it, that the stories that make the national press are the ones of dissent, anger. Disunity. And yet one of the things that sets the world or the church apart in the modern world is that we do believe in something. We believe in an absolute truth. We believe in a truth that transcends all else. Our unity of belief, of togetherness, can and should be a call to the world of the power and majesty of God. Shouldn't it? Should that not be a sign to the world that we believe what we speak? That we believe in something greater than ourselves? So that we as a group of people can unite with one purpose, one course, one call in love and strength. Satan's ability to blind the world to God's word is strengthened by our disunity and fracture. By being disunited, all we do is strengthen the devil. But when the body of Christ is united, then the light of Christ can break through. By living in unity, we can change the very atmosphere of the world's around us I don't know if you've ever noticed but churches go through different phases in their life some of decline some of sort of holding steady some of growth do you know what one of the defining characteristics of that period of growth is in churches and the period leading up to it it's unity of love for one another of purpose A church that is fighting amongst itself is never going to grow. When the body of Christ, the church, is scattered and broken and disordered, change is difficult, almost impossible to achieve. Together we are stronger, greater than any one man. 
I'll paint a picture for you. Imagine a wheat field. I'm sure we can all do that, can't we? Imagine in one corner there's a man harvesting with a scythe. Now, I've never used a scythe, but I gather that, all right, not the quickest thing in the world, but you'll get there eventually. But sitting back in the farmyard is a combine harvester in pieces, kneading, assembled, scattered, disordered. How much greater could the harvest be if it was put back together? Our unity magnifies the effect of the Holy Spirit being poured out on us. God has given us the things we need to share his words. Yet we need to unite to make the best use of them. And when we think of relating to others, how we relate to each other, it's clear that we need to take the example of God as our starting point. So I've got some examples for you from Scripture. So 1 John 4 verse 19 We love because he first loved us. Matthew 10, verse 8. We give freely because we have received freely. Luke 6, 36. We are merciful because he has been merciful to us. Ephesians 4, 32. We forgive in the same way Jesus has forgiven us. Their calls to action aren't they? We have this wonderful example of who Jesus is, who God is, and what he's done for us. In some ways, that starts us off on this passage, doesn't it? The greatest commandment is to love God. All else comes from that. It's only possible to love God, love our neighbours if we love God. I'm going to tell you something. It may be hard to hear at points, but when it comes to relationship with God, we are not the perfect ones. We're not perfect, are we? You probably know that for yourself better than I do. So when we come to face God, when we come face to face with God, where are our thoughts going to turn to? Are we going to be thinking about the shortcomings of others? Or are we going to be thinking about the shortcomings of ourselves? I know where mine will go. The shortcomings of others are going to fade into insignificance in that moment, aren't they? It's our own actions that set out how we relate, how we interact with others. And I've got news for you. It's not up to us to judge others. That's God's prerogative. How often do we hear it said that Christians are judgmental? Judgy. We're just out to judge people. And yet it's not who we're called to be. 
that each and every one of us is going to have to stand and face God's judgment at some point, aren't we? That we can have no doubt. So what is our judgment ever going to achieve? Not a lot. Or take our needs, what we feel we're owed by people. We may feel that need to remind others of what we, they owe us. Yet that's not what scripture tells us, is it? We're reminded again and again throughout scripture that we should put others before ourselves. As we see in these verses, treat others or treat our neighbours as ourselves. Higher than us. We shouldn't be going around saying you need to do this and that for me. Rather, we should be going around saying, what can I do for you? What are my responsibilities to you, to others? And how can we help them? Parents can be a wonderful example of this. Serving their children's needs selflessly without any thought of what they get out of it. I'm told they assume that responsibility with joy most of the time, I suspect. I'm sure it's not a universal feeling, but a joy of service. But this is the response we should have in every single one of our relationships. A joy in serving, not feeling put upon and downtrodden and saying, oh, if I must, without of a sense of duty. But through a joy in serving the Lord, serving others, just as Christ found joy in serving us. We take as an example Christian marriage. The Bible tells us that wives should submit to their husbands. Yeah, it's not one-sided, is it? Husbands are given a responsibility to love their wife as Christ loved his church. That's a task, isn't it? That's a responsibility. Which is greater? Where should the emphasis be? On the wife's or on, the wife, on what the wife owes, or what the husband's responsibility is. I think it's fairly clear it's the husband's responsibility to his wife, isn't it? Turns on its head what we think about service, on our relationship with others. Or take the church. Does being a member of the church give you a right to criticise others? Or to tear apart their doctrine or what they believe or how they say something? Or does it give you a different thing? Does it give you a responsibility to submit to those in authority in the church and to relate to others with the same love and acceptance as Jesus shown each and every one of us? There are two sides, aren't there, to every coin. One is the way that Christ wants us to be. When we stand before Jesus, where will his focus be? On whether we've been given everything 
we feel we are owed and are due or in how we've treated those around us. We are called to serve without expecting anything in return. We see it in churches, don't we? People say, oh, I don't get anything out of church. Well, I've got news for you. It's not really the point. We have a responsibility to serve our brothers and sisters without necessarily expecting anything in return. Do you know what? I think it's liberating, isn't it? To be cast off of feeling we're always owed something. Gone of the calculations of thinking, is it worth it? Is it worth doing that? What will I get from it? No longer will we be disappointed by others' failures to reciprocate. Instead, we can be surprised and joyful when others serve us. That also probably means some of us have to get better at being served by others, but we'll leave that for another day. So what if someone does something wrong? Do we just leave them in their blindness, in their folly? Short answer is that we're not leaving them alone, are we? For the Holy Spirit is there with them to guide them back to seeing what they've done wrong. We're called not to be judgmental. So often if we point out someone's sin, then the change of perspective takes place for them. They begin to focus on us as an issue instead of focusing on God. I've said repeatedly we shouldn't judge, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't discipline. We see it throughout the Old Testament, the Old Testament, the New Testament even. Galatians 6 verse 1, Paul writes, If someone is caught in a sin, you will live by the Spirit. You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. We are called to aid one another. Yet at its heart, judgment focuses on character, something that's very difficult to change. But if we're called to discipline, to help one another, it focuses on our behavior. And they're two different things. In Matthew uh, chapter 18, verses 15 and 17, we're told that we see someone sinning, we're instructed to address it one to one. To not make a big deal out of it. To gently bring someone back to seeing the right way. Then if that still doesn't work, we're instructed to take one or two along. And if that still doesn't work, then we are to tell the church. All done in love. We're not to condemn, but to restore to Jesus. And I just a sort of addendum, but if we're the only one who witnesses the sin, then it's probably best to leave it to God, because we get into a sort of he said, she said stage, don't we? Of your word against theirs. It gets us nowhere, but we know that God will deal with it. And how we speak to others is also key. Take, for instance, if we see someone lie. Our first response might well be to make a judgment, to say, you are a liar. 
doesn't sound nice, does it? It's aimed at character. It's saying your very character is corrupted. We're making a judgment that is not ours to make. Instead, we should focus on disciplining the behavior. We might say, did you just lie? It's better, isn't it, when we think about it? Or perhaps even better, you're not a liar, so why did you just lie? We're encouraging people to come back to God's way. We're saying we're all children of God, but we often act out of that character. We can't change our character, but we can change our behavior. For when we judge, there is an implied punishment, isn't there? We think of a judge sending someone to jail. And yet God doesn't punish Christians, for Christ has taken the punishment for all. Instead, discipline strengthens us and forms us. It develops our character to be more Christ-like. A parent who refuses to discipline their child is not helping the child, are they? In Hebrews chapter 12, we read, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I would not be the person I was here today if my parents hadn't told me what was right and wrong, would I? We get our rewards in seeing someone come to be more Christ-like. I think that's quite a good reward myself. Don't know about you, but we have a God who doesn't punish us. Instead, he wants us to see us grow and mature into the people we're meant to be. And what if someone attacks our character? What if someone accuses us of being a liar or... Insert word of your choice. Our first response is probably to get defensive, isn't it? We're naturally quite defensive people. Yet how does Jesus react? In 1 Peter chapter 2, when they held their insults at him, he did not retaliate. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. We have no need to defend ourselves. We know that we are God's people made in his image. Sue reminded us earlier that we are children of God, made secure in him. If the accusation that's made against us is true, then we don't really have a defense, do we? And if it's false, we have no need to defend ourselves. Because we entrust ourselves to God and trust in his outcome. No one looks good when they go into defensive mode, do they? It's not a good look most of the time. But think what happens if we learn not to leap to our own defense. May well show the person doing the attacking that we are different. There's something different about us. May well open up that opportunity for us to minister to them. For nobody comes to attack your character from a position of strength, of security, do they? They want to prove that they're better than you. For if someone is critical of others, then often they're hurting or immature. Things that 
needs our help to overcome. And we're called to love them, even when they don't love us. We know that conflict happens, doesn't it? We're never going to escape it. Yet it's how we respond that is the defining feature. It's our response that matters. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, Paul writes, If it is possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Are you willing to do that as far as it depends on you bit? To put aside your own prejudices and preferences and seek unity in the body of Christ. For we can only do so much, can't we? We can only control our own actions. We can choose how to react, but can't choose how or make that choice for others. We can choose to be a united body of Christ so that we can be effective witnesses for him. We can choose not to judge, but to leave that to God's. Amen. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you call us to love one another unconditionally as you have loved us. Father, we pray that we would be united in our service and love of you. Father, we pray that we would be a symbol to the world's of who you are, of what your love has done for us. Father, we pray that in all that we do, we would seek unity. That, Father, we wouldn't rush to judgment. Father, that we would seek to build each other up, to love one another and draw each other gently back to you. Father, help us to be the people you've called us to be. Help us to show the world the love of you. Father, help us to love you with all our hearts and souls and minds. Help us, Lord, to love our neighbours as ourselves, putting their needs first. Help us, Lord, to be joyful servants of you and of one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And we're now going to come to a time of song worship together. picking up Richard's theme. Have you ever noticed that you never have to teach children to be naughty? It's true. Absolutely. You have to teach them what is, as you said, Richard, what is, what is right and what is wrong. Um, and we are children of God. We are God's children and he needs to teach us. This song may be, it's an old, very old, it's so old, it's in songs and hymns of fellowship. 
Um, it's that old, but let's stand and sing, Lord, teach us today. from the end of Jude. Words that are, seem appropriate after the sermon today, but to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present to you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, power, majesty and authority. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. To leave a comment, please go to myonhead-baptist.com slash sermons. Well, thank you once again for listening, and I'll speak to you soon.